Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Diva Behavior, the podcast. I am your host, Molly Molshine, as always. And oh my God, what a month it's been. Donald Trump is officially leaving the White House at the end of this year, and I feel like a 300-pound weight has been lifted from my shoulders. Obviously, there's a lot more work to do when Biden gets in. He's not my perfect candidate, yada, 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 but I think we can all just be happy that Donald Trump did not get another four years. Now, here to speak with me about that this week is Elise Morales. Now, Elise is a comic. She does stand-up comedy, and she posts funny things on Twitter and Instagram all the time. She has her own podcast called Roast of Your Teenage Self, which is awesome, and she does a lot of political commentary for the Betches media organization. So Elise writes a political newsletter for Betches, and she's on the Betches Sup political podcast. I have loved following her for the past four years and reading all of her great opinions and jokes about the presidency and politics in general. So I feel so lucky that she is my guest this week, and we're going to just do a little postmortem of the Trump presidency because... I mean, I hate to say it, but Trump is kind of a diva, so he actually is a perfect topic for the Diva Behavior Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at Molly Molshine. You can follow Elise on Twitter, at Pandalise, and on Instagram, at Elise Navidad. And speaking of Navidad, check out my new Christmas news podcast. It's called Christmas News on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I think you guys will really like it. It's me and my sister talking about Christmas. And now that Thanksgiving is over, it's the perfect time to get in the Christmas spirit. Please rate and review Diva Behavior on Apple Podcasts. And most of all, enjoy my conversation with Elise Morales. Some people think Diva is a diva to you. Would you say, are you one? I never said that. Diva Behavior. Diva Behavior, the podcast. Okay, so I'm here with Elise Morales. Elise, hello. Hello. Very excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. How do you define yourself? Obviously, you're a comedian, but when people are like, what do you do? What do you say? Because you have so many different things that you do all the time. Great question. Um, I usually just say comedian because it encompasses all of the different things. Cause I do, you know, I do a lot of voice acting work and podcasting and all that stuff, but I feel like all of it is under the umbrella of comedian. So I feel like in my head, your comedy is so intertwined with politics. Do you feel that way? Or do you feel like it's just a small part of what you do? Um, I feel like it's, um, I think it's kind of become that way by necessity because of the time that we live in and the fact that I've always been a person who's interested in politics. So like just by virtue of the fact that I am living through these times, this is the comedy I'm going to be making. I, when, when things were less tumultuous (laughs) and, (laughs) 
and when like new crazy things weren't happening every single day, I do feel like I had more leeway to like, my standup was about different kinds of stuff. I'd write different kinds of stuff, but um, I'm consumed with the state of things <laughs> as yeah. it is. And so um, I can't talk about anything else. And by virtue of that, my comedy is just about that right now. So how do you deal with that from like a mental health standpoint? Well, it's tough because um, one of the jobs that I still do with Betches is that we have a week, a daily newsletter that comes out that I write. So, it's so good. It's really like the only, one of the only good newsletters. I love Betches and I love everything you do with Betches. It's thank you. such a good media company. I love it. They're great. And they've really let me like do kind of what I want with this newsletter, which is really awesome. Um, but it does mean that basically every morning I have to listen to the news and sit down and like try to understand it to the best I can within, you know, a morning's worth of time and then also write about it. And it can be tough. I know with the election, I had to like um, basically set times where I was like, I'm not going to put the actual news on um, (laughs) until like, I know the day of the election, I was like, I'm not putting it on until 7 p.m. I'm not going to turn the news on. And then on the the days since when we were waiting, I would be like, I can check it for 20 minutes, like at this time, but I'm not going to like have it on in the background all day. And in general, I usually listen to the news in the morning on like the radio or like a podcast. I'll do like NPR has like an up first morning podcast. And then I tend to not like listen to or watch the news during the day because I just can't, I'm already giving it so much of my energy in the morning that I'm like, whatever happens the rest of the day, like I'll catch up tomorrow morning. Mm. (laughs) Or if it's a huge deal, I'm sure that it will make its way to me. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. That is some really remarkable restraint that you showed during the election. I have to say. It was, it was either that or a go completely, completely insane because you could, I mean, the news channels wanted you to, and you could just have it on all day, every day for every second of the day. And it would have been, yeah, you would have found something. That's what I did. I was like, it was really bad. I was nonstop. I had my uh, screen time at the end of the week was six and a half hours a day after I had worked so hard to get it down to like three and a half. And then my sleep average was five hours a night. So I was spending. Yeah. I just felt crazy every day. And even though we knew going into it, like, oh yeah, it's not, you're not going to find, um, we're, you're not going to find out that night, whatever. It felt insane every yeah. day. And then when it actually happened and like the news came out or whatever, like people were like yelling in the streets and like honking their horns. It was very cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, Brooklyn was very happy. On oh my God. I was like seeing all the pictures and videos of people in New York and I was like, oh my God, I wish I was there. Yeah, it was, re- it was really very fun. It was a yeah. good day to be in New York, which was such a contrast to the last time, which was, it was like raining, cold, horrible. Everyone was really sad. Like, <laughs> Yeah, people were like crying on the subway. Oh yeah. Stuff, I remember, yeah. Yeah. That was crazy. Did you have a moment at all when you thought, I mean, what did you think in the beginning? Did you think that Joe Biden was going to win this election? I went back and forth 
a lot. I, you know, Joe Biden wasn't like my primary candidate that I was super interested in. I really liked Elizabeth Warren. I really liked Bernie. Towards the end, I was like leaning towards voting for Bernie, but then we didn't even get to have a primary in New York, so it doesn't really matter. But um, it's it once the pandemic happened, I started to feel like he was going to win. And it has been a feeling that I had for a while that I started to be like, I'm actually not as worried about him winning. I'm more worried about what we are now seeing, which is Donald Trump's sort of emotional <laughs> response to his own loss and the sort of stages of grief that we all have to walk through with him. <laughs> <laughs> just see what he does because he's like that so it's it's been a while I mean I never felt like good or amazing like going into election night I felt insane until it was called I felt insane but for a while now my main focus has been like okay I think that Biden's gonna win but I, then Trump is going to freak out and um and that has come to pass <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. What do you think is going to happen with all these lawsuits? I think he's just going to lose interest and kind of just fade away. I actually don't think he's going to pursue them all the way to the end. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they're pretty, like, I, I mean, I'm far from a lawyer, but it seems like they're pretty frivolous. They don't seem to be going anywhere. I mean, just before we started recording, Rudy Giuliani gave some sort of like sweaty, insane press conference that <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't watch, but it seems like, I don't know. I mean, Rudy, for, again, Rudy Giuliani is the one who's in charge of them. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not worried about like there being a master grand strategy of any kind. Uh, I think... I think that he's just flailing and he is like emotionally such a stunted person that like he doesn't even know what he wants. I think he just is really sad that he did such a bad job and no one likes him. <laughs> yeah. He really like lost by a landslide. He lost really bad. Um, he's probably the worst president we've ever had. He looks really ridiculous all the time. Every I, I've, I've said this on um, the Betches Sup podcast, which is like our news podcast that we do, but I feel like Donald Trump is like the person who wished on the monkey's paw. That's like story. It's like that story where you get, you, you be careful what you wish for. It's like he wished to be the most famous person in the world. And he is the most famous person in the world, but also everyone hates him. And like, he's a monster and like all of his kids are going to go to jail and <laughs> his wife hates him. It's like, you know, he got yeah. what he wanted, but did he really? Yeah. It's crazy to think about what he might think in his head because I honestly don't think he has thoughts. I think he just kind of spews out words. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that, like, if you were to, like, go into his head, you would not be able to make sense of what you saw. It would just be, like, swirling darkness, craziness. I think he's just so far gone. He's such a, an abused and abusive person that he's lost to us. 
Yeah. He's trying. Basically, what I'm getting at is I think that he is a demon. (laughs) I think think he's like kind of a metaphor for everything that America has ever done wrong. And we made like a Frankenstein's monster. And now um, we've lost control of the monster and the monster is running around the town and it drowned a little girl and we all have to get our pitchforks and we have to catch it and it's really strong and it sucks (laughs) yeah that's how I feel about Donald Trump what do you think he's gonna do next that's a really interesting question um I think he's gonna live at Mm Mar-a-Lago uh if he doesn't just like fully go to Russia or something but I don't think he's a world traveler really like I don't think he his family isn't even like cool enough to be like jet setting types really. So I think that they're pretty much stuck here. Like, I don't even think he would go to like Dubai or anything. Cause he'd just be like, I want my, I want my hamburgers or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know? So I think he'll probably just hole up at Mar-a-Lago, continue to cause a whole mess of trouble on Twitter, be a complete dick. Maybe he'll run again in 2024 um, or threaten to run again or something. I, it's really hard to imagine what he does. I do think there's a world where he like goes and lives at Trump Tower Moscow, like builds his Trump Tower Moscow finally, which is the whole reason that we're in this mess to begin with. Yeah. And, um, and then he goes and lives in it. Yeah. I could see that, but I feel like he needs to have people who speak English around him to kiss his butt 24-7. That's the thing, is that's why I feel like he couldn't be, like, immersed in another culture. But I think if he built Trump Tower Moscow, it's like he'd build his own little place for himself to be. And and everyone would speak English there, probably. Yeah, true. He would, like, bring them in. I could see him starting a, you know – bizarro even more bizarro than it actually is fox news like oh yeah yeah yeah. like i think he wants to get back on tv asap that was the original plan when they thought they were gonna lose in 2016 is that he Mm. was gonna end his candidate like once he left or conceded or whatever i mean he wouldn't have conceded then anyway but he his original plan was to try to start a news network afterwards so maybe he'll do that and That'll it'll be like suck. full on conspiracy theories. It'll yeah, it'll be, be horrible. It'll be what's his face? That guy who said the Sandy Hook shooting was a hoax. Alex Jones. Yeah. yeah. He'll be like that channel's Megan Kelly, and it will just be a mess. Yeah, I mean it's really it's really hard to say. Obviously, he's not gonna act like a normal ex-president. I'm always laughing thinking about um every president gets a presidential library. And I'm like, always, like, what is the Trump presidential library going to be? It's going to be box sets of The Apprentice. Like, what's going to be in it? Normally, I feel like it's in the people, like, in their hometown. But I don't think that, like, Queens does not want that. So I feel like it'll be at Mar-a-Lago, too, because he's definitely going to do it at one of his own properties so he can, like, make money off of it. Yeah, 100%. I've actually been to (gasps) Mar-a-Lago. What's it like there? It's actually... So I was in college, and 
it was a friend of a friend. Her family was from Palm Beach and they were members there. I don't know how I stumbled into this situation, but it was actually pretty nice. It was just like a standard beach club. And I don't remember it being overly tacky. I think it was just, you know, it was pretty nondescript, I would say. Um, Palm Beach is apparently the number one place that Jared and Ivanka think they might go because they're not welcome in Manhattan anymore. (laughs) I know. I love that. You saw that story, I'm guessing, in Vanity Fair of her uh, ex-friend. I loved it so much. Yeah. How Ivanka, like, blamed a fart on somebody else and, like, (laughs) when they were, like, 13, which is so petty, but... So funny to know. Yeah, that was great. But also, where was that friend for the last four, five years? Well, that's how I feel about anytime someone comes out and they're like, I'm, I'm, especially if it's like people who worked in the administration and they're like, Trump is unfit. And I'm like, okay, well, where have you been? Yeah. I guess her friend didn't have like information of like dire national security you know, yeah, true. Whatever, but um, give us the tea. Yeah, fill the tea earlier than this. I know they're on their way out. That's the thing that scares me the most is Ivanka's trajectory after this because I think honestly she's so well spoken and so pretty that people are gonna accidentally I forget know. her. It sucks, and I, she, she could be our first female president unless Joe oh kicks it and then it becomes Kamala. <laughs> yeah, which I. I isn't an impossibility. Right. Um, I do think that we will see her run for president in some capacity, whether or not she's successful or it's a silly thing or whatnot depends on a lot of stuff that I can't predict, but she's, she's his protege. She is the chosen one of all of them. I completely understand why because the I other know. ones are complete morons. <laughs> it's a motley crew for sure. Oh God. It's, it's unbelievable. My favorite? I, mean, I guess we don't know anything about Baron, which is fine. He's very tall. Yeah, he is very tall. And Melania seems to have good genes. That's another thing that kills me is when people are saying that Melania is like secretly you know, a sleeper cell who wants to divorce him. And it's like, no, she's evil too. She is also fully evil. She's like, she's like Cruella DeVille evil in that there's like a glamour to it and I can respect it. (laughs) But but she's, yeah, she's wearing, she's still wearing puppies as her coat. Like she's, she's not any better than any of these other people. It is just funny to see her like open hatred of him like she can't hold his hand for even one second right but uh, another thing that I read when I was reading about Milan or Ivanka and Jared going to Palm Beach is that apparently Melania prefers to stay at Mar-a-Lago and she and Ivanka have a frosty relationship so Mm -hmm. that's why Ivanka can't stay at her private residence at Mar-a-Lago because she has a private residence there as well Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I wonder how much money Ivanka and Jared have because Jared is still actively involved in all of his real estate holdings and everything. So I wonder if they could afford to like set up their own camp down there outside of the confines. You know, with those people, it's impossible to know because they have, it's, it's like when you get to a certain level of richness, it feels like you can have so much money that you actually have no money, but it actually doesn't matter because you've transcended 
the ins, <laughs> the comings and goings of normal money. Like, <laughs> yes. So I, they're probably, they're certainly able to run around in rich circles and have private jets and shit like that. But I mean, they're, it's probably like his, their father. They probably are actually like $400 million in debt or some shit. Right. It's okay. I'll just <laughs> edit out the curses. Yes. <laughs> I can do it. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like, um, I, have you ever seen that movie Queen of Versailles? Yes. I was yes. literally just watching it and paused it before we started this recording because I was watching Below Deck season mm-hmm. four, I think. I have not gotten into Below Deck, but I really want to. It's a weird journey because it's actually not that good, but you get hooked somehow. It's just not fun. It's not escapist because mm-hmm. especially if you've worked in a service job, you're just like, this is really triggering. I don't want to watch people bust tables. I have worked like in that job for so many years. I don't yeah, like, I don't. Yeah. This isn't my escape. Yeah. And the people are all, you know, kind of bland, but, but the woman from that show, Jackie was on below deck. So me and my boyfriend were watching it and I was like, do you know who that woman is? And he was like, no. So I said, oh my God, we have to watch this show or this movie. So for anyone who doesn't know, Queen of Versailles is like this guy who was really rich on, he got rich off of a timeshare company. It was super predatory and just like milking money out of like working class and lower middle class people, basically. Old people tricking them. Yeah. (laughs) He became a gazillionaire. They started to build the most, ex- the largest uh, single home in America, and they were going to call it Versailles in Orlando. Which, why are you trying to be in Orlando? That's so weird. I know. And they ran out of money halfway through building it. So the documentary crew is still there while this entire family is sort of like slow sliding into insanity. Like, the dogs are pooping all over the floor. Their pets are dying. It's so crazy. So Donald Trump is all over that documentary. They mentioned it yes. like six times. Yes. He, I mean, <laughs> everything he touches is destroyed. So who knows what he does next? Yeah. It's crazy because the, the husband in that documentary, he says, you know, oh, I even went to Donald Trump and asked him for some money. And this was in 2008 or something. So it was a while ago. But it's like, how do you get to be a billionaire and not realize that Donald Trump doesn't actually have any money? Because, like, you, yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. There's another documentary that's from the 90s called Born Rich. Oh, I love that one. I love Born Rich and Young Ivanka's in it yeah. as, as a 15-year-old. And I remember one of the stories she tells in it is that she's like, I remember one day my father and I were going into the plaza and he pointed at a homeless man on the street and he said, that man has a billion more dollars than me. <laughs> Cause he was in debt, like a billion dollars at that point. <laughs> oh my God. See, this is what I don't get. Like what is money? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Like, you can be a billion dollars in debt and have it mean less than like someone who owes a credit card company, like a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Like it makes, it's, it's all made up. The points aren't real. It's, (laughs) 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 
Yeah. It's crazy. And it just makes me think, what am I doing wrong? Like, what am, why do I not know how to harness this made up thing and make it work for me? You know, I I think, isn't there a 30 rock joke? That's like, you know, that thing rich people do where they turn money into more money. (laughs) Like it's, I think it's like Liz Lemon is asking Jack Donaghy about it, but it's like, yeah, once you're in the club, you know how to like fluff the money around and then suddenly you have an investment account that has money in it. I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. So when you're doing things, political things for Betches, Mm -hmm. do you ever, was there ever a moment when you had to think about the potential for alienating people with jokes that you make or with things that you write or say? Like, was that ever something that you had to worry about? Yes, in the sense that, like, I want to be thoughtful about the things that I am saying. And once you have, like, a larger audience, I also, I feel a responsibility to not, like, unnecessarily alarm people or to be, like, unnecessarily cynical. So sometimes I'll be a little more, like, optimistic about things in the newsletter than I am as like a natural person because I especially when like the vote counting and stuff is going on and especially with all the stuff that Donald Trump is doing it's like how many jokes can I make about him doing a coup until I'm like freaking my readers out so so I try to modulate my tone a little bit in those moments because I want the newsletter to be something that's like pleasant to read and not something that's like really scary for someone Mm. to read um and then you know I it's it's been like an interesting journey because I've been writing the newsletter for about four years and sometimes and you know a lot of news items have passed through during that time. And I kind of had to learn how to like cover really sensitive topics in a funny way. And sometimes I had to basically become comfortable with the fact that like sometimes there actually isn't a way to do it. And so this blurb in the newsletter just isn't going to be funny and that's okay. Cause I think I used to think like, okay, no matter what, there has to be some joke in the bullet point. There has to be some joke in it. And I'm like, no, maybe this is just not funny. And so this, blurb just isn't funny and so that's something I've definitely learned in the process so Betches did not start out super political obviously Mm -hmm. and for listeners who might not know it's it started out as sort of just a college girl humor website yes that's how I would explain it, right? Yeah, I think that that's I think that's a very good explanation because the the three girls who founded it started it as a website in college where they were just writing like funny snarky thoughts from the voice of your like quote unquote typical like college sorority girl. So it was like mostly a satirical website from the voice of this girl that mm-hmm. none of them actually were but was kind of supposed to be like the quintessential like Betchy girl. Yeah, like North Face and Uggs and leggings. Yeah, on campus. So they now, obviously, they're still doing a little bit of that, and they've pivoted to covering politics more, and it is very clearly sort of Mm left-leaning. So was there ever a moment when that political pivot started to happen where there were readers that freaked out and were like, 
we're, we don't want to read about this or? I mean, I don't know because I'm not on like the analytics side of it. So I don't know for sure, but I'm sure that they did have to deal with that because, um, I mean, they have 6 million followers on their main page. So, you know, I do know of times in the past where like we as a company went to the women's March and they were like, you know what, we're going to post on the main page that we went to the women's March and people get pissed. People started saying like crazy stuff to them. You know, it definitely happens. But, um, you know, the, the, the women who started the company, we're right around the same age, like all within a year of each other. And I think that just like they started growing up too. They started out writing it when they were in college in their dorm, not really thinking about any of this stuff. And then now they're 30 year old women who are plugged in and have started companies and are paying attention and have seen all this crazy stuff happen. And so I think the website and the content of the website got more political and more adult and a little more grown up just because they did, you Mm. know? Yeah. And it seems like that archetype that they were sort of lovingly skewering from the beginning, a lot of people who identify with that would be pretty conservative, probably. Yeah. I think the people who are like actually (laughs) like that, (laughs) a lot of them would be, or like just not, um, not a with it. Like I remember because the, the website used to be in the form of like a list that was called like the batch list. And it was like all these different things about batches and that they do. And one of them was not keeping up with the news, which was like, so it was like, she was more like an apolitical girl, which now the founders are like, I mean, Sammy, number one, like Sammy Sage is, uh, of the founders, the one who I work with the most, she does the sup podcast with us the sup is kind of like her brainchild and whatever she posts a lot of political content in general so she's just super plugged in and the other two founders uh it also are as well and like I think it just got to a point where you know especially with this election and all the stuff that has been going on to have a platform of six million and not say anything and not use it to post like any information about the election like I just think that they're the types of people who couldn't just sit by and not use their platform at all for anything like positive yeah yeah especially you know with Trump getting in it was kind of like such a line in the sand Yeah, it was, I mean, you know, for a lot of people, it was not a wake-up call, and they saw the writing on the wall for, like, a long time beforehand, and God bless those people, but for me, like, I was really shocked when that happened, and I know a lot of people who were also shocked, and I know a lot of people who, like, stepped up and started doing more, and then, and the newsletter they had started it before the 2016 election, but once the actual election happened and we saw that outcome, it was like, okay, we need to actually turn this newsletter into a whole new like facet of the website and its own page and its own, it's going to be its own brand within the brand basically. Yeah. It was crazy when he did get in. I was working at a magazine at the time that had a really similar demographic to Betches, I think. Mm -hmm. And just immediately from the moment he was inaugurated only stories about the inauguration and about him performed well it was the weirdest thing in the world yeah it's um I mean 
it was such a wild thing to have to navigate and we'll be unpacking it for a long time to come. Yeah. So what has it been like for you writing Trump jokes for four years? How do you keep it fresh? Cause you do. And it's so easy to write a hack Trump joke. It's like the first 50 jokes I ever think of, of about Trump are garbage. So how do you do it? How do you do it? It's, I mean, it's tough sometimes. Sometimes it's more just about the situation itself. I mean, at this point, it's like, yeah, I'm not really going to talk about how he's like orange or has, how he has small hands, even though he is orange and he does have small hands and <laughs> his hair does look insane. And and it's kind of crazy that we can't mention those things anymore because it's like, it's so obvious that he looks completely absurd. <laughs> yeah, he looks terrible. He looks insane. <laughs> Like, he's got a giant tie on. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But I try to stay focused more on what the actual thing is that he's doing and skewering, like, the policy or the mentality that's behind it and trying not to get as caught up in, like, the surface-level stuff about him and his tweets and the fact that he doesn't know how to spell anything and he capitalizes weird random letters <laughs> yeah there's so much about him that's ridiculous on its surface that you kind of have to go like one level deeper and be like okay but what is like the mentality that's even driving this man to say that windmills cause cancer or whatever yeah or you should eat bleach or Whatever new thing he's saying. Yeah, it's been so weird. It's been such a weird four years. I just had so many moments over the past four years what I where I would just stop and say, Oh my god, Donald Trump is the president. That, yeah. that, that is crazy, you know? Yeah, I had this moment one day where I was like in the shower listening to the news and I was just thinking about how crazy it would be if like me from 10 years ago zoomed in you get like to, you get to see like one moment of the future or whatever and they just hear this radio that's like president donald trump is still denying his policies had anything to do with the 250,000 dead from the coronavirus and i'm like what would my past self i would be like what is going on yeah it's crazy what are you looking forward to as the Biden presidency starts. I am looking forward to feeling a little bit more, I not even calm, but just like the sense of security that it, it brings to know that the person in charge isn't completely psycho mm-hmm. and that how he has some kind of set of guiding principles. Uh, that's going to feel really nice. Yeah. And especially with the pandemic, I mean, it's just been so hard and it's so difficult to, with the fact that like, we basically don't have a president right now because, and we're still in the middle of a pandemic, but because Donald Trump didn't get reelected and because he's sad about it, he's just not going to do anything for the next two months. And um, it's time that we can't get back, which is really horrible, but I look forward to the day when we have a competent person in charge of the pandemic who at the very least is going to put in place like science-based stuff 
that needs yeah. to happen and uh and who's who isn't going to be guided by his own ego and not public health yeah that is gonna be hopefully good and helpful but i'm so worried about the split that is going to be happening between the progressive democrats and the centrists what's that like for you because obviously the newsletter you write is like we said left-leaning but now there's this new division of people who want to be sort of nancy pelosi joe biden type democrats and then the people who are more on the aoc side so how do you balance that because that's almost even trickier sometimes yeah and you know to be perfectly honest, I try not to get too much into that divide, if possible, in the newsletter, because the newsletter I really see as something that's kind of for the full big tent of the um, of the Democratic Party. My personal politics, I definitely am with like the more AOC progressive part of the party. I would like to see more progressive people than we've been seeing in Joe Biden's appointments. And there's, you know, he was never a candidate that I was like in love with, but for at least right now, I am trying to take heart in the fact that uh, someone who I do not believe is actively evil will be in charge. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and you know, uh, my hope is that we can we can push push left on some of this stuff. I think what happens with the Georgia runoffs are going to be really really important, and I think that progressives in the U.S. really should be focusing a lot of energy on that because if we are not able to get even at least one of those seats. I think it's pretty likely that Mitch McConnell would block any progressive cabinet picks from coming to the floor and would probably even, I mean, Mitch McConnell is so horrible that I could see him being like, we're only going to confirm Republicans. Like he would literally do that. So I, it's, if we want a more progressive administration out of Biden, basically all eyes on the Georgia runoffs right now, because without those two seats, I don't know how we get what we want from him. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so nerve wracking. It's just, it's so scary because I think a lot of people who are otherwise well-intentioned forget that there's a reason why Donald Trump was elected. It wasn't a fluke. It was a kind of a logical end to what has been going on with the democratic party being so ineffectual and so corporate run for the past 10, 15 years, mostly going back to like Bill Clinton, which Yeah. And the way our media works at this point, like, um, you know, before the 2016 election, I really wasn't like, I, I wasn't, I didn't understand where a lot of the Hillary hate came from. Like I knew that she wasn't like a perfect candidate and all of that stuff, but I didn't understand like the level of feeling that goes back with her for like decades (laughs) And maybe if I had taken more time to understand that, I would not have found myself so surprised the day after the election, but uh, I did not realize. Yeah, I wasn't too surprised. I thought Trump was going to win just because I grew up in a pretty conservative area and I just, 
I was like, people hate women. Yeah. (laughs) See, I was full bubble. I just like, I really was like the, the stereotypical, like liberal bubble person who just did not think it was even possible. Completely was like, it's going to be a wash. It's Mm going to be amazing. We're going to have a first woman president. I've got my pantsuit, da, 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 da. And Mm. uh, I was not correct. So... (laughs) definitely uh learned a big lesson on that one yeah it was yeah definitely crazy but I feel like I don't know I just hope yeah like you were saying that the Republicans don't just block every single thing that Biden tries to do yeah but even still like there is stuff that a president can do um so even just having Biden in there and being a competent person, like there are things that he can start to do day one. Like, I mean, he wants to put us back in the Paris Climate Accords. We'd probably go back in the Iran, Iran deal. Uh, I think he can do a mask mandate himself. Like there's just so much that just by just having someone who's not um, really one of the dumbest people in the world. <laughs> it's really helpful to have someone who's not one of the dumbest people in the world be in charge yeah it's been wild to watch idiocracy sort of come true over the last yes. four years it's been and so many people haven't seen that movie and it's so infuriating yeah like, you guys this is literally what's happening right yeah now. like this we you you everyone <laughs> should be required viewing for yeah for children and like the people who think that like wearing a mask is gay it's like literally (laughs) straight out of idiocracy I mean I it's so it's so crazy like when I listen to like NPR the daily and they like go to the midwest and interview people who won't wear masks and literally like that is the reasoning they're like I'm strong I don't need a mask why would I need a mask if I'm so strong it's like you or the people, my favorite is people who think that it, wearing a mask means that you breathe COVID back in. I, I've heard that a lot, is that they're like, you're breathing the COVID back in if you wear a mask. And I'm, oh like, <laughs> and I'm like, no, honey, no. That's crazy. No. Well, a lot of people don't wear masks in London, I have to say. It's really an What's underreported the- phenomenon in, in the UK. See, because I just imagine, whenever I imagine what's going on in London or any European country, I imagine everyone's got their mask on, everybody's behaved, Mm -mm. you know? So many dum-dums. This is the thing. Like, I feel like this is a sort of American fallacy that we have where we think, that's what I used to think too. I always thought that like everyone in Europe, since they're a little bit more mature and older as Mm -hmm. societies that they would kind of have things under control. But yeah, no, I was, I had to go out today to look at um, an apartment and I was taking the train back. And first me and my boyfriend got caught in the middle of a giant group of school kids who were just like screaming. They were teenagers and none of them had masks on. And I was like, Oh my God, Nick, we are literally catching COVID right now. So we do like dart out of that and then we get on the train and it's just half the people either don't have a mask on or it's under their nose. And it's also 40 degrees out. So I'm like, why is your nose not cold? Like, just put the mask yeah, on. The mask just keeps you warm. Like, as we're going yeah. into the winter months, like, the mask just makes you warmer. That's interesting because I will say on the New York City subway, everybody's got their mask on. 
and they got yeah. it on right. That's what I've heard. I think the thing is people don't call each other out here. Everyone's really passive and sort of a uh-huh. little more timid. So for me, coming from living in New York for five years, like when I first moved here two years ago, if someone was doing something annoying, I would be like, hey, stop. Or like on the subway. if That is was, true. If someone's leaning on the pole, I'd be like, hey, can I use that pole? And they would literally dart away from me. They would run away like I had rabies because they're so yeah. not used to New- confrontation. <laughs> New Yorkers will confront you yeah. if you're messing around. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Londoners, listen up. Start. Start being mean to people. I know yeah. it's against I know it's against your nature, but start say say something. It's like it would not kill you to make someone uncomfortable for three seconds. Yes. So they, and they, they actually are the ones who made it uncomfortable because they are the ones not acting right. Yeah. You are merely restoring order. Yeah. They made it uncomfortable by not having their mask on their face like they need to have. Do you want to know something else really strange that's like semi-related, but not really Mm -hmm. is people here openly pick their noses in public a lot more. Is that true? Uh Uh-huh. And I thought I was crazy, but I have a friend who moved here around the same time as me. And one day I was like, look, I don't know if I'm insane, but do you notice that like grown men on the tube are just like digging for gold, picking their noses? And she was like, yes. And it's people who are like in suits commuting to work, like otherwise totally have their lives together. And, okay. And they, and they just are in there on the tube. I'm just here to say what I'm finding out here is that <laughs> the British have not earned the fancy reputation that they get over here. And we look to y'all to be clean and to be doing it right. And to be courteous and have your masks on and to be smart. And and you are you are supposed to be our big brother who is who is successful. <laughs> and, and you're picking I'm, your nose out in public. We give that's them too nasty. much credit. We give them way too much credit. Well, that ends for me today. I'm disillusioned. I know. <laughs> I still love them. Like, I still think they're doing a way better job of running a society yes. than we are. But Oh, no, please. One of you marry yeah. me. Please, please, please marry me. Yeah. <laughs> Bring me to you, please. <laughs> yeah. The other thing is now they aren't going to have a leg to stand on when it comes to giving me crap about being American because we got rid of Donald Trump and they still have Boris Johnson. So that's true. And That's I'm going to make it re- equally ridiculous to Donald Trump. Yeah. And he has said more outwardly racist things than Donald Trump, believe it or not. They just don't really talk about it as much. Well, doesn't he also, he won't say how many kids he has? Yeah. What's that about? Really weird. How many kids do you have? Yeah. It's just another level of rich person who's untouchable by the rest of society. It's not, it's not like it's better or worse than the way it is in the U S it's just a different way where it's like, he's so posh that he just doesn't have to answer questions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just can't, I mean, Donald Trump got away with a lot of stuff and he hasn't shown us his tax returns and all that, but I just can't imagine a presidential candidate I guess, I mean, again, different system, but a, a politician being asked how many kids you have and then being like five or six and then that just being okay. Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. We are right. way too 
uptight about, I mean, we're the Puritans, we're the crazy sex freaks. So we, you, that would not, that answer would not fly here. That is like one of the worst parts of our society is that puritanical yeah. strain. It's so awful. And I just feel like it will never go away. It's been it's, like hundreds of years and it's still like, they don't care about cursing here. It's the root of all of our problems. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, it really is because we are a country founded by religious freaks who everyone was like, please leave, get on a boat, get out of here. You guys are so annoying. Your hats look bad. You're so drab. You're bringing everybody down. Yeah. And that's us. And that's us. And now we love a cult. We love QAnon. I still don't really know what QAnon is. I do not know what QAnon is. Yeah. My I- understanding is that um, everyone is a pedophile except Donald Trump. That's the, I'm pretty sure that's what the basis of the conspiracy and that he's saving us from the pedophiles and yeah. So why was he friends with Jeffrey Epstein? Not addressed. (laughs) They do not address that. And as far as I can tell, when that's brought up to them, they just move right on by. They do not. And they have no problem being like, well, Bill Clinton was friends with Jeffrey Epstein. But if you're like, okay, but here's a 10, 10 photos of Donald Trump with Jeffrey Epstein, they'll just be like, and then and Bill Clinton is friends with Jeffrey Epstein and Obama's a satanic pedophile too. Because there's Satan is involved as well, but I can't remember how. That I love. The Satanism thing. That's fun to, that's fun to throw in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you always got to throw in Satan. Yeah. Always got to get him in there. So, okay, Elise, to wrap up, mm-hmm. what are you going to miss most about the last four years as we enter this new, hopefully new era? What will I miss about the last four years? Um, I can't honestly say that there's going to be something I particularly miss, but... I do think it has been an interesting, uh, a very singular experience to be living through history in such an obvious way. And um, I, I wonder if there will be a time when I look back fondly and I'm like, remember when everything was crazy all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I say from my spaceship. But yeah, I think it's more, you know... I feel very reflective about this time because obviously like it's just been historic in so many ways that it is interesting to think about like, wow, we just went through a thing. I mean, knock on wood that it is actually over, but (laughs) yeah. Well, now the pandemic is going to, do you know what was the worst was the people who were like, oh, as soon as the election's over, we're going to stop hearing about coronavirus. Oh Yeah. Because it's a hoax and da da da, and yeah, the media made it up so that Trump would lose because Trump's the only one who's not a pedophile. It's all comes full circle. It's so crazy. Yeah, people are well, wild. Thank you so much for talking with me and sharing this historic moment. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is so much fun. Thank you so for fun. having me. Thank you. And also, I have to tell everyone to follow you because your political 
stuff. I didn't mention this, but I wanted to is so good at not being negative. Like Thank you. every time I look at Twitter, it's just this sea of negativity, especially stuff about politics. Even if it's funny, a lot of the time it's just negative and complaining. And I'm not one of these people who like, likes positivity, but you, but it's important to not be like a negative Nancy. And you're so good at doing that. At, like, oh, thank you very much. Political crap and like spewing out something that is funny, but also not makes me feel like I'm in purgatory. I, you know, it's not that I feel <laughs> optimistic all the time about everything, but, um, I want to, if I can inject a little like silliness and levity into someone's newsfeed, I'm happy to do it. Well, you do do it. You do it Thank every, you. every freaking day and I appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks so much. Do you have anything you want to promote or, or tell um, them to check out? You know, uh, follow me on Instagram at Pandalise. That's P-A-N-D-A-L-I-S-E. I'm on Twitter at Elise Navidad. Oh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> and um, I have a podcast called The Roast of Your Teenage Self. Uh, you can get it on all the podcasting apps. And basically, comedians come on and talk about all the embarrassing stuff they did in high school. And it's really fun. So good. I love it. Yeah. Some people think divas are diva to you. Would you say, are you one? I never said that. Diva behavior. Great, uh, great gowns, beautiful gowns. <laughs> of course, I don't trust you. Diva Behavior, the podcast. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.